Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of More or Less. Today it is More or Less with Sam and Arik. You may know Sam from the incredible band X Ambassadors, and my new friend Arik works at the Sweet Relief Musicians Fund. This episode is awesome, seriously one of my favorites. We dive into masculinity, vulnerability, and what it really means to take care of yourself in today's world. So, how are you really feeling more or less? I am, I'm Eric Steinberg. I work at Sweet Relief Musicians Fund. I'm feeling a little under the weather. I'm on the tail end, hopefully the tail end of a little cold, but generally I, I feel pretty grateful for uh, the way things are going in my life and the way things are going here at the charity. I'm, I'm very grateful for the, for the amount of people that we are able to help. I'm very grateful to supporters like Sam who make it all possible. And I'm grateful to be here with you, Jessica. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, my name is Sam. I'm the lead singer in a band called X Ambassadors, and I'm feeling pretty good too. You know, it's funny, Eric. My wife literally just got over a cold. I dodged it somehow, but um, but uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I just kind of came back from a really rejuvenating writing trip with with the band. We went back to upstate New York, where I'm from and my brother's from, and uh, it felt really good to kind of reconnect with our roots there and uh and go back to our hometown so i'm feeling in a good space creatively and it's funny you know it seems like there's this rush right now to kind of get back to everyone to get back in action because now now that covid restrictions have been lifted pretty much everywhere you know it feels like okay all right we gotta go we gotta go we gotta you know make things happen and, and, and get back to exactly how things were before, but even better and see more people and go to more dinners and, and play more shows and, and do more sessions, do work more, work harder. You know, it's, it's kind of a lot. And uh, I, I'm feeling like I've got my head in the right place where I can kind of sit back and, and take my time getting back into things. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. And that's actually, that's something I, I wanted to touch on today, just because I've I've been feeling very similarly in the sense of there's this urgency to go back to, dare I say, the new normal or adjust to this new normal. Whereas I think over quarantine, a lot of us kind of took inventory and looked at ourselves and said, okay, that lifestyle, parts of it worked and parts didn't. And how are you kind of managing what has seemed like overnight in the sense of we were isolated and now trying to get back out there? You know, my experience has remained pretty similar. I, I have a little bit of a different job than um, many folks. And we got busier during the pandemic, significantly busier. I had always worked at home, so I was you know, I was used to that isolation. So uh, nothing really changed for me significantly work-wise, except that it was busier. Um, of course, there's all the social stuff, which I, I took in stride, really relieving in many ways to have that pressure of those interactions lifted for a while and I'm getting back into it slowly. I still have not been to a restaurant. We've been very, very cautious because I have a toddler, an unvaccinated toddler. He's four and I don't want to bring something home to him that, you know, so we haven't ventured out to a restaurant or a movie or any of that sort of stuff yet. I too have felt the pressure to do so. I felt a lot of pressure to get on a plane and go to uh, this event or that event. 
I felt a lot of pressure to go to some festivals that normally I would be going to around this time of year. And we've decided that, that we're not there yet. So I'm still a little bit in a, in a bubble, albeit a, perhaps a thinner bubble than it once was, but we're, we're staying a little bit in that same mode. So I, I certainly can relate seeing the business from the perspective that I do, that bands are real, really rushing out there and, and I get it, especially from, for a certain level of band that, you know, they don't have a giant nest egg that's going to pay them for the rest of their lives and they they need to work and they need to get out there and start earning and, and kind of pay off some of that credit card debt and, uh, and, and build the coffers again. And I, I understand that tremendous pressure to get back out there, but, uh, that hasn't been my experience, thankfully. Yeah. And there's also this, this pressure too. I think, you know, I, I can only speak from the perspective of, of being in a band and, and being an artist who tours uh, has have been touring for the last, you know, decade. I, I not only needed to get back on the road for our business, but also, you know, my, my heart and soul for the, the time where we weren't touring for all of 2020 and, and most of 2021, it was, uh, really taxing, you know, emotionally to kind of be in this zone where I, I can't do what I'm, I can't do my job. That's really the bottom line. And, and, and it's a job that I love to do more than anything. So I feel they're getting back into it now. We we actually did a tour um, right before the Omicron wave. Um, that was really amazing. That was that was kind of like the, it's been it's been easier for me this this go around because we just did that last fall and it was two months in the U.S. and it was uh, so great. It was amazing. We got to we got to see our fans again and I got to be back on stage promoting this new record that we're really proud of and. So now I, I don't feel as much of a rush to, to get back into it, but we are starting to get back into it. And, you know, it's been all right. I, I think one thing that we have collectively, Jessica, you touched on this, we've collectively gotten a bit better at, at, at kind of taking a step back and saying, hang on, hang on. Is this, do I actually want to do this? Or do I feel like I'm being forced to do this because everybody else is doing this, you know? So, Sam, what, is, what does that look like for you being in a band and many different opinions when if you're having a rough day, if you're not feeling it, what does that communication and vulnerability look like between multiple parties? You know, uh, it depends. Sometimes I act like an asshole <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'm trying to get better at that. Sometimes, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm really working hard at doing is not being such a wet blanket you know when i am feeling because everyone is looking to me as the leader here i have to be very conscious of how my behavior affects everybody else and and i think i think sometimes i i can be a little uh overly dramatic and i think that i get if like say i'm sick on tour right if i have a cold and I'm worried about my voice. I'm worried about a million different things. And I have the pressure of, of having to be the one front and center that's carrying the show. So I let that get the better of me. And I become just like a sulky grump. And I, I'm like, no one talked to me. And it just creates a horrible environment. And everyone is on edge. And then everybody else gets upset and everyone else gets grumpy. So I, I think I have to, I have to balance that a little better 
but also, you know, maybe that's just my narcissism and maybe really nobody cares <laughs> that I'm, that I'm acting grumpy, you know? So, so I think that, uh, I'm still learning. I, I, I think as a band, we've been together for so long. I mean, myself, my brother and Adam have been playing together since 2007. Casey and I uh, obviously are family. So, so our modes of communication are very, very evolved at this point. And our guitar player, Russ, has been with us since 2016. We have developed a pretty solid form of communication. We're, we're all pretty transparent with each other and pretty open with each other. And I, I think the best thing for me now is to say, if I'm feeling sick on tour, this is just the example that's coming into my mind right now, because that was for the longest time what I was so so scared of all the time of losing my voice and and then being unable to sing um which that stress alone caused me to get sick more often than not but what what i'm trying to get better at is is being honest and open with the guys and saying hey look i'm feeling real shitty today and i just want you to know that uh so i'm sorry if i act like a dick uh and i, I will try my best not to but i need your help too um, I need your guys' help to help me kind of like pick the energy up and pick the slack up because I just can't deliver today. And I say that and then it's like, okay, great. And then then I get some of that pressure lifted off my shoulders and I can just be sick, be miserable if I feel like being miserable. But just having that brief moment of like trying to catch it before it happens is is helpful. Yeah, as as you were saying that, the word that came to mind was pressure because it sounds like you know of course like you said there's pressure to perform and, and show up as your best and be fully healthy and rejuvenated and ready to go but it also kind of sounds like there's a pressure that you've placed on yourself as the front man that's just from you alone right 100 percent, 100 percent. it's also just a part of who i am my whole life i've always felt like i've needed to rise to every occasion and and put so much pressure on myself to do that so uh i think seeing understanding that part of myself and then just kind of pinching you know pinching my arm whenever i feel it kind of kicking in and saying like oh you know that's what that is that right there just helps immensely with communicating with my my team also you know i think keeping in mind that my ideas are not always the best ideas i may think that they are in the moment and i think that they're right but i think keeping an open mind to what someone else is going to bring to the table is is so important. And do you think, you know, the band's been together for such a long time, do you think there's been periods where collaboration has been more present than other times? And, you know, even mentally, have you seen that kind of shift throughout the years? Yeah, yeah, I have. I think that the first two records, I took a lot into my own hands and told everyone to trust me and come along for the ride. That was a decision that I made at that time. I, I'm not gonna say if it was like the right decision or the wrong decision. It, I think it did a lot of great things for us, but it also just created an interesting environment within the band. And now recently I've become really excited about working with my bandmates, with these people that I, I love and, and feel so comfortable around. I think that's what you I've come around to I've made some great stuff over the years with with new people, new collaborators, 
people that I don't necessarily feel very comfortable initially around just because we're strangers, <laughs> you know? And there have also been times where I'm like, man, I, every time I walk into a room, I'm in a room with somebody new and I'm trying to impress them and I'm not getting my best work done. And when I'm with my bandmates, these guys who really don't, they don't care. They don't care if I wrote a, a masterpiece that day or if I, I wrote the worst thing ever. They're my ride or dies, you know, like they're there for it all. So I feel less self-conscious around them. And I think that's a valuable thing. And I think that the longer you're in this industry, the more you come to cherish those relationships and, and keep those relationships a priority in your life. And, and I'm so lucky to have had that groundwork built over the last, you know, 15 years. So I'm keeping them close. I love those guys. The one thing I did want to touch on with both of you as I dive more into mental health work is this taboo around masculinity and male identifying folks talking openly about their mental health and this whole be a man stigma that exists. And my question that I'm posing to the both of you is, do you agree that that exists? And do you think that there is potentially a universe that exists where that is not necessarily a, a pressure? Uh, it, you know, in, in my experience, I didn't grow up with that type of uh, masculinity in, in my house. You know, Jewish mother, she's a therapist on top of it. We are very much encouraged to share our feelings and that it's okay to have emotions and everyone experiences emotions. It's the way you act, not the way you feel that matters. So I don't really have that uh, shame attached to my emotions. I, I do think it does exist. And in my friend group, I see that, that there are varying levels of uh, comfort that people have with their emotions. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's not the case for me. I'm grateful for that. I love yeah, that your mom's a therapist. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I grew up with my dad is is the the Jewish mother of of my family. <laughs> my dad is the most emotional guy in the world. <laughs> and my mom, you know, my mom was the one who who mostly my dad was was he worked abroad for most of my childhood and uh, my teenage years, but was always there for me whenever I would need to talk to him about anything I would she was just a phone call away and my mom was um the one who was mostly around and she was also very encouraging for both of us to share our feelings I think that the majority of my friends I mean I grew up in central New York and upstate New York and the toxic masculinity that I grew up around is very it was very real and had a huge impact on me and I think that in my early teens and uh that was God, I remember so vividly, you know, going from elementary school into middle school and just instantly I, I watched some home video recently of me talking to my dad in fifth grade. He like interviewed me. It was like a time capsule thing. And then he interviewed me again in sixth grade. And just the difference was so shocking and heartbreaking to me to see. You know, I remember being mercilessly made fun of for the clothes that I wore and and just like the fact that I wasn't really great at sports. I tried so hard to be good at sports. I, I remember that, that aspect of it very vividly and being so beaten down by the toxic masculinity that existed in, in my school. And I think that just the nature, because of the fact I, I grew up in a, in a household where that was discouraged and, and I was encouraged to talk about my feelings and, and, and be as sensitive as I wanted 
to be, that was my saving grace because at some point, you know, even if you are susceptible, like I was at, as a kid, you know, wanting to have friends, wanting to have more male friends, wanting to be a part of the gang, you know, I fell for that. But then because I had this backbone of this family that allowed me to be sensitive and, and, um, and cry and talk about my feelings, something clicked, I think in like seventh or eighth grade. And I kind of like snapped out of it and, uh, and then went back to doing musical theater and, you know, and like painting and doing photography and being in a band and singing about my feelings. But I, th I think that I was talking to my wife about this the other day, you know, there's such a difference with my close male friends, including my bandmates. Like it's sometimes a struggle to talk about deeply sensitive personal things. I can do it. Um, but then I see, you know, sometimes in, in my friends around me that there's like, there's a caginess, there's a, a real resistance to it that still exists. And I, I get jealous so much of the relationships that I feel like my wife has with her, with her friends, with her female friends, you know, they talk about everything. They talk about relationships. They talk about sex. They talk about depression. They talk about their bodies. You know, they talk about everything that is so uncomfortable to talk about. There have, I can count on my, like on my one hand, the amount of times that I've had like deep, sensitive discussions about sex with my male friends. That is, that's crazy, you know, like that shouldn't be the case. And it is a lot of the time. So I think it exists, but I do think that there is a world where it doesn't exist. I think that it just has to be encouraged in the, in the home you know, from an early age. And um, it's on both, it's on both parents to do that. Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting because both of you, of course, everyone has different experiences, but both of you mentioned that individual childhood household experience, it does shape you and how you approach your own expression later on in life all goes back to how you're raised. And I, I just think it's interesting too, to hear the importance of that individual experience versus a, a trope that exists. And I mean, like, I can, yeah, I, I just thought of another example. So it took me, I was, I started losing my hair when I was, when I was in my early twenties, but when I was a teenager, I always had like a very high forehead and just got mercilessly made fun of by my best friends mm. for that. So when I started actually losing my hair, it was like full, full on panic. And I finally was able to come to a point within myself where I, where I shaved my head and I was like, man, this feels so much better embracing this part of myself than trying to hide it or anything. And, uh, and I felt sexier. I felt more confident, but that took a lot. It took a lot of work to get to that point emotionally. And if I had had a group of male friends who, you know, were sensitive to the fact that this was happening to me. I think, I think, it, I think it wouldn't have been as hard for me if I had a supportive group of male friends, uh, rather than a group of my friends who just made fun of me because I was losing my hair. That's a, an affection language, I think, sometimes right. within the male community, and, and, it, and it can be really hurtful and, and traumatizing me. Yeah. And in that experience, it sounds like without that support system, you also didn't feel like you could open up on a deeper level and say, hey, this is actually not okay with me. Yeah, yeah, no, I would have to always just be like, fuck off, fuck off, fuck, right. fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, whatever, shut the fuck up. 
Right. You know, that's it's so it's so typical. And and it would have been really great to have had friendship with another another guy in my life where I could come, you know, like that first day where I saw I, I remember I saw the back of my head in a security camera and I was like, oh, man, that guy's losing his hair. He's got to shave his head. And I realized it was me. If I had been able to come home that day to, you know, a roommate or a friend and like cried and, and like, man, I think I'm losing my hair. I really think that, and this is really like a, it's emotional and, and scary for me. Uh, I would have been great, but I just didn't have that. So I just had to kind of, you know, I had to like man up. It's, it's like, it's, it's such a weird yeah. psychological thing, you know, but in, in manning up, I had to accept my own vulnerability and I had to, I had to just kind of say, Hey, this is something that is happening. And I had to deal with it on my own which is very hard, very lonely, and very isolating. And it's just always better to do that, not by yourself. Right, right. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate your, your vulnerability. Um, Thanks, Sam. Listening to you talk about it, I can think of, I, I, I always want to change my answer. I can think of so many similar Change your things. answer, go ahead. Right. <laughs> I, I totally want to change my answer. I've absolutely experienced this. Yeah, 100%, we all have. I, think I was just thinking about the time when and I haven't thought about this for years. I went to a movie with a buddy of mine. I even remember the movie. It was Powder. I don't know if you guys remember that movie. I remember that movie. And I cried. And he like caught me crying and teased me about it mercilessly. To this day, he'll bring that up. And I don't even know. That was decades ago. And I remember like having to hide. Like I never wanted to go to SeaWorld or the zoo. I always felt badly for the animals. And, and I would have to like make other excuses as to why I didn't want to go because I didn't want to share those vulnerable feelings with my friend group at that time. Now I have people in my life that I, I feel like I can have those types of female conversations with that you described where we can talk about all that stuff. And you're right. Maybe the sex stuff is not, I don't do the deep dive with my friend group, um, that, that women get to do. Um, but most other things I think so, but boy, I, I really, I'm really glad you brought up those examples because those are sleepers for me, but right. you're absolutely they're right. And it's like, and it's the hardest thing is because they're with a lot of these experiences and a lot of the like bullying that I experienced were with people that I considered to be my friends at the time. Yep. You know, whether they were my close friends or just kind of casual friends, like didn't matter. I still got bullied by them. And like, I used to wear, I was, I was the first person in my, in my school to like start wearing tight pants. And I, I had to buy women's jeans because they didn't sell tight pants for men. So I'd wear these like these really skinny, tight bell bottom jeans from like American Eagle and just get made fun of mercilessly. I can I can see I can see your balls, dude. You know, like just really fucking shitty. Uh, and by my close friends. And I would have to I would have to laugh it off and be like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. Fuck, fuck off. Yeah. You and know? listen, that's kids too at that age. We don't all have the language. You're right when you said earlier that it's an it's an expression of affection in a lot of ways yeah and why is that the way we express affection why i don't know yeah i, I don't know. know why can't it either. be like man that's crazy that's crazy what are those like wow right. that looks <laughs> awesome i've never seen anyone wear that your balls look great in those jeans your balls look great <laughs> you know wouldn't that be great that would be listen and then the the fu's over time becomes a defense mechanism you know, that's, that's your go-to way of 
of coping. And over time yeah. that builds up into more it's serious exhausting. impact. Yeah. It's exhausting. I have friends who now I, who I, every, I see every once in a while. And when we do get together, it's just, it's just that constant, like they can't help themselves, but it's just a constant, constant barrage of, of like attacks on me. And that's their love language. That's them showing affection, but it's just exhausting. So I can't hang out with them very often. <laughs> I'm like, I can, I can take one day a year with this guy, one day a year. And it's fun. Sure. You know, like, look, I don't mind it every once in a while, but yeah, I don't have the thickest skin in the whole world, nor do I wish that I did. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to be the butt of the joke. No. And like, I also really love the fact that I am sensitive and I think that's one of my, one of my superpowers, you know? So I don't want to immerse myself with people who make me feel like I have to have my, my guard up all the time. Guys, I'm going to switch gears a bit. And Sam, I know you heavily support Sweet Relief, and that's why we're doing this joint episode, which is really awesome. So, Ark, for listeners that aren't familiar with Sweet Relief, if you could talk a little bit about the organization and how you're helping musicians and the industry as a whole. Absolutely, yes. Our mission is to provide financial assistance to musicians and music industry professionals. We added that in a few years ago. Um, we're overwhelmed by medical bills, typically. We had a, a COVID-19 fund. Sam was a big part of that. And we, we saw the struggle and we waived the medical requirement and we just said, Hey, if you're financially impacted by the pandemic, we can help you. And we raised a lot of money and we gave out a lot of money. It's funny, right before the pandemic, and this will be more apropos to what we're talking about here, right before the pandemic, we were launching our mental health fund Sweet Relief because we saw the great need for mental health care amongst our community. And it's, it got a bit sidelined by the COVID-19 fund. So now we're shining the spotlight back again on the mental health fund. And what's, what's special about it and the way it really serves our community is, you know, Sam mentioned a few times at the beginning of the pod, the unique challenges that are presented to artists, the pressure of being front man, communicating with your bandmates, the, the, the pressures of, of being out on tour, what happens if you get sick on tour, the anxiety, worrying about your voice, and all these things that, you know, lay people don't really worry about. So we connect with an organization that has a network of therapists that have music industry experience. So when somebody in our industry needs help, they can get connected with the therapist and Sweet Relief's role is to remove the financial barrier. So uh, we found a lot of times it's like, I'll, I'd love to get therapy, but you know, I have rent and I have this and I don't have health insurance and I, and it's like a luxury. So we're trying to get people the help that they need right away without the pressure of trying to choose between their, you know, rent and self-care. And uh, so that's what we're doing. That's what our mental health fund does. And uh, it's relaunching in May. Well, it's, it's always there, but it's, it's, we're doing a big campaign in May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, to fill the fund with as much as we can. Our, our minimum goal is $100,000, which is going to help a lot of people uh, get the care that they need. And just as we're sitting here, I've received a few applications for assistance in my inbox. It's it's nonstop, really. And I would say 98% of those that apply could use mental health care, but 100% of those that apply are just needing financial assistance for vital living expenses. Not so they can uh, go to Hawaii and, and write in the jungle. They want to pay bills and they're overwhelmed. So ideally, I'd be able to reply to these people and say like, yes, we've got, we've got your rent covered this month. And not only that, we want to get you eight sessions of therapy with a qualified therapist in your area. Or is that something you're interested in? So 
the more funds we can bring in, the more people that we can help. And uh, that's what our mental health fund does here at Super. Amazing. Absolutely amazing work that Thank you, you yeah. all do. And for listeners that do want to donate, please hit $100,000 for Sweet Relief. Um, they can do that on the website. They do it on the website. You know, we've got a campaign coming up where we'll have a lot of cool prizes and enter to win contests. And uh, sweetrelief.org is the site. You can go and check it out. And are there any other ways that people can get involved? Do you have any kind of volunteer opportunities? Like if someone just wants to know more and wants to help, what what can they do? Sure. They can get, the, get a hold of us through the contact page on the website. And Lots of volunteer stuff. If you don't have any money, you don't want to donate, you can't, uh, you don't have the cash to do so. Following us on socials and interacting with us and skewing the algorithm in our favor is a, is a big benefit. Signing up for the email list to, to see what's going on is, uh, is useful. All those little things, just kind of stay engaged with us and, and volunteer opportunities are always there too. Thank you, both of you. I just want to close off with a final question, which is if each of you could think of any lyric or affirmation or phrase that kind of keeps you moving forward? Eric, you go first. I got to think about this. <laughs> I think uh, let it go for me is a big one. There's little things throughout the day that can pile up. I let that shit go, man. And uh, it frees me up to be able to be at maximum service, not being weighted down. So that's a good one for me on the spot. I'm sure I'll think of nine better ones after we hang up. But... <laughs> I, I, I honestly, that's a, that's a really, really valuable one. I have been involved in the recovery community for a while. And, you know, one of the biggest affirmations is let go and let God, whatever, whatever God represents to you. That's, that's one that I always come back to. Also, there are so many things that are just out of your control. And I think that I often get in these modes where I think that I can control everything and that everything is in my, it's in my power to control, but really we have no control. So might as well just kind of let it go and, and yeah. do your best and just be. That is um, ironically, the quote that gets me through is a Hamilton lyric. He says, I'm the one thing in life I can control. And I actually have it on my mirror because if there's anything I learned and I think the world learned over the past two, two and a half years is you can't control shit. No, you <laughs> The cannot. only thing you can control is you yourself and what you got going on. So I think, listen, I think Let That Shit Go is a great title for this episode. <laughs> it's probably what it's going to go on on Spotify. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> More or less with Jess.